Dr. Kim, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're going to get straight into it. I'm going to start with, how did you come to your faith in Christ? So my, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for, your, the, for this uh, opportunity. Um, I'd like to say that my, I came to, I guess you would say that I am a late bloomer. I came to know the Lord when I was in uh, college. Um, and uh, what happened was um, I have a background in classical music. I played uh, violin and uh, viola for over 20 years, and I went to um, undergraduate on a music scholarship. Hmm. So when I was in high school, there was a young man, uh, his name was Tim. He actually, um, at the time, I was not a believer, and I felt proud that I was able to corrupt him. I introduced him to the world of alcohol and mm. debauchery. And uh, at that time, um, that was almost a badge of honor to do that. Well, anyway, fast forward to college. Um, I remember one time I, I walk into the symphony hall where we had practice, and there was Tim. And I was like, what are you doing here? And he said, hey, I, I, I got sick in college, so I had to come back home. And he actually pursued, uh, he was pursuing a music degree, and he ended up uh, going to the University of Indiana um, to train with uh, one of the most renowned cellists on the planet at the time. His name was Janos Starker. And he actually went out there. Well, he had some issues with, um, he was bipolar, and um, he ended up coming back. I sat down, and I, I remember ordering the pitcher, and I said, I poured him a, a, a beer, and I said, here we go. Here, good to have you back. And he says, I don't drink anymore. And I was like, what? it's me, you know, it's like, hey, old times, right? Mm -hmm. I said, why aren't you drinking? And he says, I gave my life to Christ. Mm. And I'm, and I said, oh man, you're one of those now, <laughs> right? So I just, yeah. I just sat there. So anyway, after that, we started to go to the, on, on campus, they had a Baptist student union there. And they had free lunch every Wednesday, so we would go. And uh, we started to just attend some of these outreaches that they had. And, and I remember I got saved, I believe it was April 6th of 1990. Uh, I was a sophomore in college, and I ended up going to a spiritual warfare conference that the Baptist Student Union held. And... Uh, the, the speaker's name was Sam Douglas, and I remember he was talking about demons and hell and all this stuff, and I actually went looking for a good Christian girl to settle me down. That's what I, that was my motive, but I ended up finding the Lord instead mm, that day, mm. and I remember after he spoke, well, at first, when we sat down, I was looking around to see who you know, what girls there were there. But then I started to listen to what Sam had to say. 
And I remember at the end of the end of his lecture, I was just taking voracious notes. I just could not. I asked for a pen and a pad, and I remember just writing about his forgiveness, his the work that Jesus had done on the cross, and it all made sense after that. So I remember after that, the um, the Baptist Student Union director came up to me and he said, "So, do you have any questions?" about what we talked about. This is a pretty uh, heavy subject. And I'm like, yeah, I. how do I give my life to Christ? Because I want to do that. Mm. And Tim was right next to me, and he starts crying. Mm. And I remember looking at him, and I looked at um, the BSU director, and I said, well, obviously he's upset, so I'm not going to do it tonight. I'll do it some other time, but not now. <laughs> and then Tim says to me, he says, these are tears of joy. Mm. I've been praying for you ever since we went to that pizza place for your salvation. And I was like, really? You know, that kind of <laughs> thing. So after that, uh, we went to the uh, BSU director's office. I would say uh, I uh, prayed the sinner's prayer. Mm. And that's it. Wow. Yeah. So after you, after you found out that he was... Um, born again Christian at that pizza place. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, so you, what were you thinking at that time? I, I thought that uh, my interaction with Tim was going to be minimal. I was like, I, I don't need that in my life right now. I, I don't want to have anything to do with Christianity. I just said, I want to live my life. It was all about me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and that was basically it. Mm. So at the same time, I ran with three other guys in high school, two brothers and another friend of mine. Well, that summer, um, all three of those guys um, came back to the Lord. So I got saved in April, and then the two brothers, uh, they rededicated their lives to him. And then my, uh, the other guy, um, the other friend, he became a believer as well. So now one of them is a pastor at a church down in uh, El Paso, Sun City. So, mm. Were yeah. you raised Christian? No. Um, well, my folks never really, um, they didn't force it on us. They were always, hey, they encouraged us to go to church, mm-hmm. um, but it was never a, you're getting in the car, we're going to church today, let's do this. It was never like that. It was always an option. And I remember just um, younger, when I was younger, I would go to this small little Baptist church, but it was not very regular. And uh, yeah, there was that uh, that bus driver that would come to our uh, knock on our apartment door every Sunday, and we would I would go maybe once a month, but yet he he was there faithfully every Sunday, and he was there for years. And uh, yeah, but uh, no, it was never a uh, a regular thing or a forced thing or anything like that. So every Sunday, this guy would come and knock on your door and yeah. say, you want to go to church? Yep. So then when you went, did your parents go with you? Nope. Just you? Just my how, sister How old were you? I was maybe 10, 10 <laughs> oh or 11. Oh my goodness. Yeah, but the, the reason why was uh, there was a language barrier. Oh, okay. There wasn't a Korean church there in Albuquerque. 
So my parents, basically, my dad, with the help of his one of his best friends, they started looking into doing something like that. And uh, 40 years later, there's a small Korean United Methodist Church because they helped found it. Mm. Yeah. Wow. What a story. I mean, a lot of I've I've heard um, a couple times uh, that people are are coming to their faith in college, which I think is hard. Yeah. A lot of temptation, a lot of things going mm-hmm. on. I mean, when you're at that age, especially if you are social, what do you want to do? You want to party. Yeah. But then when you give your life to Christ, then you kind of have to make that decision, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so then uh, let's fast forward. So after you uh, found your faith, like how did, how did things change for you? Yeah, so... No more pictures? Yeah, it was... Uh, uh, it was a pretty dramatic change, I remember. Uh, there was a, a friend of mine that uh, invited me to uh, go to a den of iniquity. He said, hey, I'm, it's all on me. I'm going to pay for everything, including the dances in the back room, all of this stuff. And I, you know, I was like, I don't want to go. I don't, I don't need that. I don't need that. And he says, what? You know, and he said, had the same reaction that I had with Tim. He's like, what? Are you crazy? And I said, hey, I don't need that. I, I, I gave my life to Christ. And he's like, oh, okay. And, you know, but then uh, he has become a believer too. And he's married and they have a bunch of kids and they're living for the Lord. So. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Mm. That's happened. So you were a uh, music major. Yes. You're not doing music now. No. So how did you? Uh, tell me about that journey to becoming an endodontist. Yeah. So uh, you know, in my interview, I I remember I was I was working at a sporting goods place, and there was a guy there where his brother was a dentist, and I was thinking about. All my life, my dad wanted me to be an engineer. I mean, he was yeah, pretty high pressure. I'm sure you know Asian parents can be like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he was saying that, oh, you know, you're going to make a great engineer. You're going to make a great engineer. <laughs> and I was just like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And I think one of the hardest things that I had to do was to tell my dad that I didn't want to be an engineer. And this was two years into college, I was in the College of Engineering to get an electrical engineering degree, just like my dad. And, you know, I remember sitting down talking to him about that. And I was like, I have something to tell you. And he said, what's that? I'm like, I don't want to do this as my career. Mm. So he's like, okay, so what are you going to do? And it's always the default in Asian homes. You're either going to, you know, pump gas or be a <laughs> trash man or something like that. So it's a, what are, one of those things is what you are going to be. It's like, so what is it? And I said, no. I said, Dad, I want to be a dentist. Mm. And he looked at me and was like, a dentist? <clears throat> what? And I said, Dad, Mom's an artist. You're an engineer. I said, I'm both of you. I said, I want to do something that challenges both of me not just your side. You know, I want to work with my hands. And I made a compelling case for that. And he said, okay, apply to dental school. 
So that's what I did. I ended up uh, applying to dental school. And uh, at that time, uh, dental school enrollment was very low because all of the best and the brightest, they wanted to be medical doctors. Mm. I think it was the, um, you know, the TV shows, the early TV shows of uh, St. Elsewhere, ER, all of those things. I mean, it, it glamorized medicine. And I knew that that may be something that I wanted to do, but it missed the hand component. So if I was going to do something, I was probably going to be a surgeon or something like that. But mm. I found that dentistry was something a lot uh, more, I, I enjoyed it a lot more than the thought of just sitting in an OR, you know, at least with dentistry, I have interaction with patients, mm -hmm. you know, with staff, all of that. So uh, that's a, definitely a better fit for me. You say your mom's an artist? Yeah. What kind of artist? Uh, she did um, oils. So in South Korea, she actually has a couple of her paintings <clears throat> on display at, uh, in Seoul. She won a couple of competitions early on in the 60s. Wow. Yeah. What a diverse uh, yeah. uh, background of parents you got there. Wow. Complete yeah. opposite. So, you know, thinking yeah. very logical engineer, and then you have your artist. Yeah. <laughs> and then you come and you're their hybrid. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's so fun. I was kind of chuckling when you were telling this story about when you want, had to tell your father that you're not going to be an engineer because mm -hmm. that was deja vu for me. Oh, really? Yeah. Because, you know, my mm -hmm. father is the martial arts always, right? Mm -hmm. Since I was a baby. And, uh, he's always said, don't do this. I want you to get a real job, <laughs> right? Like for the Asian, mm -hmm. for Korean dad, it's about, they want you to get a quote unquote white collar job, mm -hmm. right? Sure. So then I started in business in college and I know he, he didn't really like that because it was too vague for him, mm. right? Because I think for Korean parents or Asian parents, it's like, all right, get the degree of accounting or whatever, and then you should be able to then quickly get a job mm. in that career. Business mm -hmm. is like, what is that? It's like yeah. pretty vague. So then mm. I switched over to electrical engineering okay. sophomore year, mm. and then he was happy. And then I, I was going through these courses. I'm like, this is way over my head. At the, at the time, I was like, I, I can't do this. I think it was maybe some ADD going on or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no interest, too. Mm. And then I switched to mechanical, and he's like, okay, that's fine. Mechanical, it's mm. good. Then I remember that moment. I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm. I, want to, I want to just go back to business and specifically marketing. Wow. And then I remember that moment. I'm like, oh, I don't want to tell him. Mm. And, I had, and, I, and I did, and he was disappointed, but mm -hmm. then he's like, okay. Well. Then the next moment that I had to go through again when it was when I told him this is my last semester mm. as a senior. Mm. All of a sudden I get this, I don't know, I don't want to say calling, but this idea because mm. I taught martial arts th through high school. Mm. And then uh, I just all of a sudden said, I missed, I love that. I love teaching kids. I want to do that. So I told him that, what? You crazy. You're not doing this. <laughs> and obviously, fast forward today, uh, yeah. that's what I'm doing. But it's just brought back memories of those mm. high expectations yeah. that the Korean father has. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm grateful for it because he pushes you, right? Yeah. Pushes you to that. So yeah. going back to you. So yeah. Uh, so with dentistry, you wanted to do something medical and then also talk to people. Is that what your thought mm -hmm. was? Yeah. I knew that I, I had a very empathetic side to me 
where, you know, so uh, today when I have patients that come in and see me, you know, the first thing is we're going to help you. Mm-hmm. You know, if this is a dental issue, if this is an endodontic issue, I'm here to help you, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that in and of itself is, um, I think that, uh, that's going to be one of the things that I'm going to miss the most, uh, when I retire is just being the, the ability to impact people immediately. You know, I think that mm-hmm. dentist to dentistry as a whole, you know, uh, we don't, ever see the final product like uh, there there'll be patients that come in and see like cosmetic dentists and it's a process right they have to prepare the teeth and then they place the veneers or the crowns and then then and only then do you see the end result of your work but for endodontics it's a lot different because patients come in in pain they are dying they usually have had a rough night because they couldn't sleep or anything because they're in so much pain. My, I see the effect of what I do immediately. Once I get them numb and I break that pain cycle, it's all good from there, mm. right? And it's just this immediate sense of, okay, I'm helping them. It's working, right? And mm. that in and of itself, very powerful thing, but uh, I love it. Mm. How many years of schooling did you have to go through? So uh, dentistry is a four-year commitment. You go through, and um, they teach you a lot of things um, where you can do root canals, you could do periodontics, uh, gum stuff, you could do crown and bridge, you could do the entire spectrum of dentistry. But then... Um, if you want to learn more about it, you have to go into some specialty training. Mm-hmm. And specialty training usually is two or three years. The program that I went to was actually three years. I got a Master of Science out of it as well. So I have an MS, additional letters after my name. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm doing the math here. That's 11 years? Um, so it was four years undergrad. Yeah. Then four years uh, dental school, and then another three uh, for my specialty. Wow. So you're early 30s before you could even start making any money. Yeah. So I tell my sons this, work hard, play hard. You know, if you work (laughs) hard for the first 30 years of your life, you could play the rest. Yeah. And that's what it is. Mm. So what is the difference between a dentist and an endodontist. So endodontist, my practice is limited to endodontics. So it's we're dealing with diseases of the pulp and the surrounding tissues, and that's it. So I don't do fillings. I don't do cleanings. I don't do crown and bridge. All I do is I focus in on issues and diseases of the pulp and trauma, that kind of thing. That's my scope. So I don't, you know... I'll have a lot of patients that come in and see me and they'll say, well, do you do crowns? Do you do implants? And I'm like, unfortunately, we don't. We just do root canals and diseases of the pulp. That's it. That's our focus. Mm. So uh, kind of going back to your faith, you seem like a very uh, thinking man, intellectual man. So then I think there's a stigma that with Christianity, it's really for those who don't really have a lot of intellectual Mm. thought going on mm. upstairs yeah, and they're just all feeling. So that mm. doesn't seem like that's you. So mm. how, how do you um, still believe that Christ died for our sins, even though you're an intellectual person? And ultimately, last one I have to add is 
you've studied the human body, mm-hmm. right? Which mm-hmm. then goes into science. A lot of times people, they start diving into science. Uh, I know of a family member who's a Christian, and then they went um, into, uh, took a biology class. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden sw- flipped. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, wait a minute, I can't believe in this wow. now because my biology teacher said Christianity is mm-hmm. nonsense. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so for me, I... I realize that there are intricacies to the human body, and it actually helps my faith because I could see God's order and how he intended it. I could see it at the molecular level. Mm. So when I see this, it's like, how can a stem cell differentiate into a tooth bud? How can it do that without some kind of order? That is not based on randomness. It cannot do that. You know, so one of the pushes in our field eventually is, you know, um, I remember my uh, program director at my residency. He says, you know, in 50 years, we're going to be toothbud farmers. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? And he says, well, at the time, what you're going to do is you're going to pull a tooth. You're going to get some differentiated stem cells put it in there, you're going to add some growth factors, and you're going to grow a tooth in that area. You won't have to do implants. You won't have to do all these things. And I'm like, yeah, but you know what? He said that, but I'm like, but you're going to have to. There are other things that come about from teeth. You know, these stem cells, they differentiate into teeth, but then also hair, nails, that layer comes from, uh, you know, so being able to differentiate that stem cell to do that right. tooth specifically, good luck. That's God's stuff there. I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, mm. yeah, you can map the DNA code and you can do all of that stuff. But for me, I don't think that it's going to get to that point. I really don't. Are we doing that with anything else in the, with the body? Well, there are uh, there are some very initial promising things with stem cells where, the, where they will actually um, uh, inject some stem cells. And yeah. I think like in sports medicine, yeah. recovery is faster, that, that kind of thing. But that's in the body. It is. He's talking about outside of the body. Right. Outside of... You know, the world right. <laughs> that's been created yeah, for that stem luck. cell. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. Mm. I mean, I, I could be wrong, uh, but I can tell you my career, I don't think I'm going to see that in my lifetime. I, I might be wrong, but hey, it's okay. God's in control. Because mm. essentially the the um, the doctor, whoever's doing the scientist, has to program that stem cell mm-hmm. to turn into a tooth. Right. How do you do that? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so what I'm hearing is you're seeing God's work all in the cells. Yes. It's his code, it, his it, language. It reinforces my faith because I see the order of creation as he intended it. Mm. You see that, and it's like every day I see it, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a powerful thing. Hmm. So uh, what is the secret to preventing the need of the... That root canal that everybody never wants. Yeah. So I think just, um, well, there's various factors. First and foremost is genetics. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So if your parents have had um, bad teeth, okay, you're probably going to struggle with that. But you can overcome those shortcomings 
from the gene pool, you can overcome that by regular checkups and your home health care. So it's all three of those factors that come into play. Mm. So I know of, I've seen patients where they don't have a cavity in their mouth. They don't. Okay. Uh, and they just had a crown and they, you know, two started hurting and that's it. But then, and they're in their like 60s and 70s. But then I've seen some kids that are 18 in their early 20s. They have a cavity in every single tooth in their head. And it's because they're walking in with this big old Starbucks drink or, you know, so it's like you have to do your part as well. So, you know, if God's going to do his part with giving you good teeth, you have to, there's some accountability there and you have to do it yourself too. So what, brushing twice a day? Yeah. uh, Flossing is a big one for gum health, right? Because if you were, let's say your parents have bad um, teeth, mm-hmm. then you better be doing that, obviously. Correct. Yeah, and then you need to see the the um, dentist for a, for a cleaning. Yep, every and then every it six up. months. Yeah, because you want to you want to catch it early. Is yeah, that the idea? You do. Yes. So it doesn't keep right. You know. So uh, if there's a problem, uh, and that's the thing, God's creation has been. Uh, he knew what he was doing because we have this body that have early signs and detectors in place. So when you have, you know, when you eat a candy bar or something sweet and you have some sensitivity that hasn't been there, that's a problem. Mm. You need to get that looked at because if you don't, it's going to continue to grow, right? That cavity is going to get bigger. It's going to get closer to the nerve. Then you're going to get hot and cold sensitivity, not just the sweet, okay? So when you have thermal sensitivity, that's another tier in this we have a problem. Mm. So if you continue to ignore that, then it gets worse. I mean, so there's a definitive progression of disease that uh, your body is going to recognize. So early detection is key. How often do you, should you see the dentist? I'd say two, twice a year. Twi- every six months. Six months, yeah. yeah. I think a lot of people just wait until they have a problem. Yeah, it's problem-focused oftentimes. It's like, yeah, I haven't seen a dentist. I I see patients all the time that are like, I haven't seen a dentist for years, and this started hurting, but I thought it would go away by doing nothing and just continuing to do what I do, and now I'm here. And it's like, eh, yeah. Sorry. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. I, I, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's like it's going to come, so you might as well. Just yeah. deal with it, right. uh, and if you do it early, then yeah. Because yeah. I, whenever I go to dentist, I always wonder, is this necessary? They're mm-hmm. kind of necessary because mm-hmm. really, it's just the scraping, I guess. Yeah. But then the checking, yes. And then they're like, "Oh, do you want fluoride?" I'm like, "I guess." I don't yeah. know if that's really necessary. Yeah. But. It's all important stuff. I mean, it, it's it's a it's a systematic approach to health, and that's what it is. And your teeth and your gums affect your entire body, oh, too. Oh, yeah, it does. Yes. I think there was some correlation from heart attack and, mm-hmm. and sure. gum health or something. Yeah. periodontal disease and cardiac health, yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, how did you get involved with Cornerstone and Odonics? If you want to give me the, the beginning, and then we're going to yeah. take a break and come back. Okay, so uh, at the time, we were going to a church. It was a small church out in Olathe. And I remember my pastor calling me and saying, hey, there's a guy here. He's an endo, and and he does root canals. And I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) Well, I was a general dentist at the time. Mm. And he said, I think you guys ought to meet. So we ended up uh, meeting, and we hit it off. 
and he is my business partner now. So that's how that's how it works. He he came in. He's from Iowa, and he came in and he actually said, he said, um, "Hey, I'm I'm wanting to. I feel God leading me to open up a Christ-centered practice." And I'm like, "Really?" And he goes, "Yeah." I'm like, "Wow, that sounds really cool." What are you going to call it? And he says, I don't know. I think, uh, I'm thinking Cornerstone Endodontics. Hmm. That's what he decided on. Mm-hmm. But there were other uh, Christian names that he was considering, but he came on to Cornerstone. And uh, so I was a general dentist at the time. And I remember um, my education in endodontics was such where I wanted to learn more about it. And he sat me down. I went to his office. I saw him practice, and he did it a lot differently than I was taught. He was uh, it was more modern endodontics. He was using uh, a surgical microscope. He was doing all this technology that at that time we weren't taught that. So I became fascinated on how he would do it and his approach to it. And uh, ever since then, it just this this desire to just grew. And you could really see God's hand in this because um, I began to realize that when I would see my schedule of the day, I'd see, oh, this patient is coming in for a root canal. I started to look forward to that over everything else on my schedule. Hmm. And it's gotten to the point now to where, you know, I tell my sons this all the time. Monday morning, when you're in that shower and you have to look forward to an entire week of work, you got to be happy. No matter what you do, you need to be happy. If you're not, then you need to find something that you do because, you know, a career is hard enough. Um, it's hard enough with just the day-to-day grind. And if you do it and you don't like to do that, that makes it even harder. Mm. So, you know, so anyway, I realized that, you know, when I'm in that shower, I'm happy because I know I get... Uh, an opportunity to to help patients and yeah just uh, help the folks in this community uh, get them out of pain mm. thank you for sharing that we're going to take a quick break and we'll continue on that in part two